0: Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream, the part where we A your cues. And... what? And? And that's what we're going to do as soon as we know what they are. It's hard. Those of you who don't do this for a living probably don't know, but without the cues, it's hard to deliver. It's hard to deliver the A's. It's
1: not actually that hard. It's what we do in the first hour.
0: That is... Deep and true, and I did not anticipate this. I'm now backed into a corner, having uh, established a position that I no longer believe in. So um,
1: you've been there before. You're excellent at navigating these kinds of waters. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, then I uh, I'm going to correct my position. Awesome. It is very. I wouldn't say it's easy, but uh, it's certainly possible to deliver answers to questions that have not been delivered to anticipate them, really, mm-hmm. which also starts with an A, complexifying things. But mm-hmm. um, maybe um, maybe it's time to talk, to move on to the part where we get to that, and I can begin to try to live down this embarrassing episode.
1: I'm sort of enjoying this part.
0: <laughs> you would be.
1: <laughs> no, that's not fair. Um, we do not have a question from Discord, the Discord server this week. Every week... Uh, we invite them to send in a question that they most want uh, to hear answered. This is a Discord server that you can access through either of our Patreons. Um, if I will check my email uh, throughout this, if, if a question comes in, I, we will get to it. Uh, but until then, we will start off with the questions that we have in front of us. First question from darkhorsesubmissions.com where you too can ask your questions. Seems like keeping everyone afraid, alarmed, angry, and divided is great business for a ton of people and companies. If things start to get better, will we know? How will we know? And do you think things can get better? Many thanks.
0: Um, Things can get better. Will they? Dunno. And your point is right, that there are people who are utterly dependent on our division. And this is something we've been talking about. Repeatedly from the beginning of Dark Horse and indeed far earlier than that yep the hidden tribes report Which we don't talk about that frequently anymore, but? uh, Nonetheless revealed exactly the pattern there is a large majority of us That mostly agree on how things should go mostly agree on where we are we are not in perfect agreement about anything But even the most difficult issues the ones on which we are supposed to not be able to reach agreement such as abortion We actually mostly agree And, um, you know, I would say there. I actually had a number of conversations uh, while I was on my trip with conservatives who wanted to know why I won't just join them.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And I told them, look, there are some things that I think conservatives just simply don't have right. And I think it's kind of my job and our job to keep pushing them to see these things, important ones, including... Uh, the question of environmental degradation, right? Conservatives are often very quick to dismiss this as narrowly about global warming, about which many do not believe, and that's a mistake for multiple reasons, but even if you took global warming off the table, the environmental degradation of our era is so spectacular and most of it irreversible.
1: Yeah, well, I I will say two things to that, um, because, you know, although you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell from Dark Horse, um the you know maintaining wild nature on this planet is one of the things that is most important to both of us and um i think a the the two things i wanted to say in direct response which aren't exactly related to one another are a uh hunters and fishermen who often tend to be more politically conservative not not inherently we have plenty of uh fishermen and hunter friends who, who aren't, but um, that is at least the reputation, and certainly there are many conservative hunters and fishermen, maybe in part because such people are more likely to live in rural areas and, and having a rural lifestyle is more likely um, to have you be either conservative or libertarian, to like just like keep your paws off what I'm doing and let, let me live my life. Um, they, you know, people who actually hunt and fish without a lot of abetting technology, uh, see the changes, and they care deeply about them, and they may be driven um, by slightly different um, immediate, you know, proximate motives than we would be, but not, but not really, ultimately. And in many ways, they have they have a kind of um, like populist database. Uh, that is uh, remarkable in terms of being able to see, you know, like gardeners, background gardeners and, and such understand a lot of things about phenology, about um, the timing of when plants uh, flower and fruit, and thus you can see how seasons are changing, um, and you know, how, how spring is coming earlier in northern climes and such. Um, in many places and, and, and later in some as well. So like you, you get these sorts of well it wasn't done to do science, but you end up with years and years and years of well people I people who always, are paying
0: attention to a yeah, pattern have always many gone on a years. hunt
1: there yeah. and there are less of them now. And you know, or I couldn't walk through what I used to be able to walk through because it was always frozen, and now it's not. You know that sort of thing. So um, I will say that there's at least um, a considerate sort of cohort of of people who are often conservatives who really do understand how much the environment is changing. Um, oh, and the other the other thing I would say is that another group of people who are often politically conservative um, are, and you know, this is this is. Not all Christians, for sure, but people who um, wear their Christianity forward, who you know, who 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 want you to know about their Christianity early on. So I'm not just talking about evangelicals and fundamental fundamentalists, but um, will often, and I you know I believe that this comes out of Scripture, although I don't know Scripture well enough to know for sure. Um, basically, say you know, no, all of that is put here for us to use, and therefore. And therefore, we can do with it what we will. And I have seen that from some prominent conservatives. And on that point, I disagree completely. I've, I, you know, it, it is not put here for us.
0: Well well well, 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 well. And
1: I do disagree completely.
0: You disagree completely with the modern interpretation of this. It does come from Scripture, and because it comes from Scripture you're dealing with something, it's a great example in fact, of something that, a metaphor that was useful that has aged into the opposite of useful. It's now a Mm -hmm. lethal hazard. But when you were relegated to simple analog tools, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you were dealing, you know, the amount of damage you can do to a forest with a machete is a lot less than you can do with a chainsaw, which is a lot less than you can do with one of these machines that can strip a tree in thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. And so the point is, the belief that this is all here for you, make what use of it you will, is a motivating belief that becomes a toxic and dangerous belief.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's a way of um, reifying a hierarchy, which most people do kind of live by. Like you know you. you you honor you honor other people. You protect other people before you protect you know you you protect that person rather than that tree. If you have to make a choice between the two things, right? Right. So uh, you know, at at a small scale, which is all that was available um, at the point that scripture was being written, uh, it can make sense as a rubric for living your life.
0: Yep. Um, all right. So I interrupted you. No, go on. So anyway, what I would. What I would say is there are places that you and I in particular disagree with our many, many friends on the right now. There mm-hmm. are lots of places in which we don't, in which they are conserving what we would call the gains of past liberals and we are in alignment. I would say that there is a, there is a fundamental difference between left and right in terms of assessing how well we have done. Right, We agreed almost entirely on the goal mm-hmm. until very recently. And for those of us who have been jettisoned from the left because the left has changed its objective and we are now homeless and we are looking at people on the right who are defending the things that we believed in and still believe in, Mm -hmm. there is still a remaining difference if we say, well, all right, all the reasonable people are against racism, right? All the reasonable people are for equality of opportunity uh, to the extent practical. What we disagree on is how equivalent the opportunities are right? Mm-hmm. Conservatives are often dismissive. They see, well, oh, this group of immigrants does very well, you know, and they have been uh, transported uh, here. Uh, why, when this other group of immigrants has done less well? And there are often reasons for this that we don't get into, but...
1: Well, also, historically, left and right disagree not just about what we see as the current state, but about what we think the best solution to, to fix the problem would right. be. And so I would say it's not that we as still liberals, would say, um, oh, it's all fine now. No, there are still, um, there are still inequalities um, that 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 could be made less unequal. that could be made more equal. But the methods that are being proposed by the new left, by the woke left, um, are going to create much greater inequality and, and disaster.
0: Well, the new left is trying to get somewhere that we never agreed on, right. and it's trying to get there with tools that are absurd.
1: Right, but, they're, but they're, they, they are acting as if it is, they are aiming for the conclusion that everyone on the left had already agreed was yeah. honorable.
0: Yeah, they, they pretend. But yeah. for those of us who haven't lost our minds, right, there is disagreement on how close we are to the objective. There is mm-hmm. very little disagreement on where we're supposed to go. There's disagreement on how close we are to the objective and what are the right remedies. And in fact, the right remedies, you know, there was a time earlier in my life I would have defended affirmative action. I wouldn't defend it now. I would say it is justified, but not a good, it doesn't work. It's not a good solution. And so the question is, well, all right, let's talk about what does work and, you know, use that to cover the distance about which we don't fully agree. But in any case, in, in answer to the person's question, There is overwhelming agreement on what a good society is supposed to do. The differences we have in that group that experiences overwhelming agreement, that very large majority, actually, that experiences overwhelming agreement, something like 67% in the Hidden Tribes Report. Mm -hmm. um, The differences we have are small and navigable, Mm. right? Which is why Unity 2020 started with the premise that all we need are people in the top office who have three characteristics, that they are Capable courageous patriots, right? Mm. It doesn't there's no requirement on what their Value system is because anybody in that group, right if you're capable and You are a patriot and therefore are interested in making the country good and you're courageous enough to face down What will oppose you Mm -hmm. then the point is well We can just be reasonable about what the best remedies are and what is the evidence about how close we've gotten and how much Room is there left and right those are very very solvable problems. Yep, so I will say one of the things I'm hopeful about in the case of what DeSantis is up to is that actually it does sort of have this flavor about, well, Mm. let's just assess where we actually are and what it is that might be done. And, you know, hopefully that's not political. It shouldn't be. Yeah. Right? that's That's the opposite of politics.
1: Yeah, that statement isn't. Um, but already with the clip that you showed of colbert, you know it's being it's it's being actively politicized
0: well, it has to be because yeah. uh Colbert, whether Colbert understands what he's part of or not, he is um a key node in a viciously political, absolutely anti patriotic movement that has co opted lots of people who basically have gotten into the habit of thinking oh, the blue team is the compassionate team. Oh, well, bullshit, not anymore.
1: Yeah. Um, the man's know. a tool.
0: Yeah, he is. And it's sad because um, once upon a time, he was a very important uh, road to insight about what was absurd mm-hmm. on the conservative side. And right. now he is a demonstration of yep. what is absurd on the liberal side.
1: Yeah, not as useful. All right. My sister gave me an ultimatum. Get whooping cough booster or don't see her newborn, a preemie, for 18 months. Even pre-COVID, I doubted any job safety or ability to prevent transmission. Now it's worse. What to do? I don't know. I didn't actually know. So I haven't thought about whooping cough vaccine in, in the Indeed last too, three well, years. Yeah. Um, You know. Were vaccinated against it. I presume if that was being done when we were kids, oh, yeah. And our pertussis. kids are. Yeah, yeah oh, it's pertussis. That's right, it's pertussis, and our kids certainly are. Um, but I don't remember ever getting a booster. I don't. I, I don't remember ever getting asked to get a booster for whooping cough. So that's so. <clears throat> I can't speak to the um, what is the nature of this va- this vaccine, and you know what what do we think we understand about its safety and efficacy. Um, So completely anecdotally, I will say, I can't remember ever being advised or having it be advised that our kids get boosters for pertussis, for whooping cough, even... Even when there was a pertussis outbreak at one point in their elementary school.
0: Yeah, which we've seen, we've seen a couple of those. We've
1: we've seen a couple of those, right? And no one ever said like, "Oh, you adults should probably have your titers checked and get you know get a booster." Never heard that done. Well, so I don't. I'm. This strikes me as coming out of left field a little bit.
0: So, I agree. I think you've named one of the things that a rational response would involve, Mm -hmm. which is get your booster. Is always a dumb piece Mm -hmm. of advice, unless. You can be certain that tighter is low. What we are coming, what we are becoming aware of, is that actually, and this is something you and I were growing suspicious of, even when we had our kids, mm-hmm. you know, almost you know a couple decades ago. The um, the problem is we don't properly understand the tensions in the immune system, and therefore the cost of each vaccination for overall immunity, for um, natural immunity, mm-hmm. uh, and for innate immunity, those two being distinct. Right. And So anyway, if your titer is high enough to reflect ongoing immunity, then you shouldn't want any booster on that front, right? right? So the fact that we don't test that, it's just like, well, vaccines are effectively free. Why don't you take a booster? What's it going to hurt? Well, here's yeah. what it's going to hurt. Natural and innate immunity, you know, et cetera. So the problem is the what to do about the whooping cough. I don't know because I haven't thought about that vaccine. I couldn't even tell you whether it is a adjuvanted killed virus vaccine, in which right. case I would be very hesitant about it, or mm-hmm. if it is an attenuated virus vaccine, in which case I might consider it. Yeah. Um, but the larger problem is... You know, I can now say, look, I don't, it would take a very serious scenario for me to contemplate a killed virus adjuvanted vaccine at this point. And I might, I would want to know what I can't know, which is, what is the rational response to having had such a vaccine? Should you go on an extremely simple diet of things that don't tend to produce allergies for two weeks after you've had one? Maybe it's 24 hours. I don't know. I don't, you know, it's an obvious question somebody should have studied the answer to. Indeed. But... I would be very hesitant about an adjuvanted killed virus vaccine. I will be less hesitant about an attenuated virus vaccine, though I am aware that it has a special hazard to it. I think that hazard is one that you and I have the tools to understand, and it's very unlikely it goes bad. Um, but the overarching question is, could you trust any authority that now told you, ah, that pertussis vaccine, safe and effective? And it's like, well, I've now seen those yes, authorities... Yeah lie through their teeth. So that I'm not, I'm not happy that I'm in a position where I can't take any of that evidence seriously, but I don't know what part of it is polluted by whom.
1: Well, I'm wondering too, this, this raises the question of, you know, what, what are the decisions based on that say, well, this vaccine you just get once and then you're done. It is one and done. Which ones which is most of the vaccines that most adult Americans have, um, which ones are understood somehow to be on a regular cycle, as if everyone's bodily response to vaccine won't vary. So I'm thinking here of yellow fever, which is understood to be, oh, you should get your booster 10 years after getting the first one, or you know as soon as you're going to be exposed again. Like, okay hopefully that 10 years was based on something, but I don't know what that was, and wouldn't that vary between individuals? Mm -hmm. Or a third category, uh, which is like rabies, um, which we are both vaccinated against, uh, where it is understood that, um, and I can't remember what the periodicity is, but it may be something like 10 years, where every 10 years, if you continue to be exposed, because for instance, you're working on bats, wild bats, um, you get your titers checked. That yes. is the first step. Yep. You do not get a shot first. You get your titers checked, and if your titers are fine, I don't know what the what the points are, uh, what the what the recommended levels are. But if you're fine, you're fine. You don't get another shot. So why why is there anything in that second category? Why isn't yellow fever like rabies? Like oh, you get your titers checked. Is it not possible? If so, why not? What's going on there? And why is it, and this may just just be an immunology question, but why do some diseases uh, warrant a reup, and some don't? And you may maybe I don't know. This is just occurring to me. Maybe because the two examples I just came up with are um, diseases that most Americans don't run into very often. The idea is that if it's like MMR, if you're talking about your measles, mumps, rubella. Uh, vaccine that these are circulating to some degree and so your body is co- is occasionally getting exposed and so your immune system is a little bit activated with regard to those whereas if it's yellow fever if it's rabies, um, you're not unless unless you've gone and you're living in a place where yellow fever for instance is endemic, you're not getting exposed much and therefore you might expect their immune system has basically ramped down um, its response.
0: All right, a couple things to add yeah. just in sort of building this model.
1: Yeah.
0: One, the two diseases you mentioned, yellow fever and rabies, are both contracted um, by something that penetrates the skin. True. So that's some place that an injected vaccination is actually well-positioned to address rather than giving somebody an injection for a respiratory virus where mm. you may not have created the immunity on your mucosal surface where you need it. Right. Okay, cool. Second thing is um, the problem with titers, what I would now want to know with respect to titers is titers Hold on. is...
1: You can't get rabies from uh, droplets? Do you have to get bitten? You can.
0: It is quite rare. Okay.
1: Maybe that doesn't matter.
0: No, but it's a fair point. Okay. There are cases where people have gotten, you know, pee in the eye in a bat cave or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's think. what
1: I thought. Yeah
0: or maybe it's respiratory. Maybe but maybe
1: it's... it's only highly vascularized tissue. Yeah, I'm mean... not sure. I think okay. it is
0: possible, but almost okay. all cases come from But above. yellow
1: fever is entirely vectored through mosquito, through... Correct. Okay.
0: Second thing is that tighter is kind of a bad, these are all things that we've learned here, but titer is about antibodies and your best defense yep. against a virus tends to be on the T cell side where you have something analogous to antibodies but it's affixed to the T cells, it's a mm-hmm. receptor, and so your titer is an indirect measure of how effective that that shot remains. But and I we guess- we have
1: no way to do the direct measure, is that right?
0: Uh, I bet you it's not no way, but I bet you it's so expensive that nobody does it. Yeah. Um, but maybe the idea is if you're, it's possible for your titer, that is your antibodies to have dropped to a very low level and you to still have T cell immunity, but it's very unlikely yeah. that if your B cell immunity, that is your antibodies are still high, that your T cell immunity has failed you. Mm. Right. So mm-hmm. that's possible that the yep. titer is a conservative proxy. Um, but so I'm wondering if the reason that the only place where we have been told, get your titer checked rather than get your shot, is that the rabies vaccine, probably because it is so rarely administered, is, if I recall correctly, absurdly expensive.
1: I don't know that that's true anymore. Certainly when we got it, uh, it was... we. Have- I if I remember our, correctly, I think it was developed it. in Michigan and therefore not only did the university pay for it but because we are in the state where it was developed it was cheaper as it, long it, as
0: you dressed in maize and blue when you came in for your vaccine something
1: and you know some of the story sounds specious but like as I remember we were both the university was going to pay for a certain amount and because we lived in the right state it was free to us. But yes, it was going I th- to be I think very, very expensive. My recollection
0: is that it was paid for for us because it was understood to be part of our graduate work. And so.
1: They didn't feel like having graduate students keel over from rabies.
0: Yeah, it's a bad look. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a frothing at it's the, mouth, frothing bad frothing at it's the a, mouth bad look. It's a bad look, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I think the point is because the thing is so expensive, probably because it's so very rarely applied, right? You have to actually source it. Mm-hmm. um you know it's like many hundreds of dollars per dose yeah
1: no one's got it on hand or
0: right and mostly. the idea yeah. is that it, i think what i think the bottom line on this question is that what we have is a medical blind spot where because it's hard to detect the harms that are downstream of, hey, you've had too many vaccinations and they're pulling your immune system in too many different directions simultaneously or yeah, whatever it the does. The harms
1: are most, mostly uncoupled from the moment of the right. shot.
0: Right. We got so yeah. used to the idea that vaccines were a magic bullet that was essentially cost-free and gave you superhuman. In fact, this is what we tell children, like this is you know, yep. this is your superhero shot. Yep. Um, we got so used to that style of thinking that we just lost our ability to think critically about the actual trade-offs involved in these things. And in the case Of rabies, the cost is so high that the financial trade-off caused people to think about it differently than they do Mm. the other things.
1: That's my guess. Um Yeah, so that Yeah, what to do with a sister who's given you an ultimatum. I, you know, a sister gives you that kind of ultimatum, presumably thinks that she's protecting her baby. But um
0: Well, here's what I would say to the sister, I guess. I would say look it is not irrational to have concerns about vaccine safety and effectiveness in this day and age
1: and pertussis is particularly likely to be lethal in babies especially if it's a preemie right, right. like it, this is one of these age stratified diseases where yep. you know what once you hit 20 you're like you may have a cough but you're probably you're probably going to be fine
0: right the disease is very rare even In the case that there is an outbreak where it's circulating somewhere so we're talking Mm -hmm. about this mother wrongly applying the statistical likelihood of this Mm. asymptomatic relative bringing pertussis through the door yeah yeah. right very low likelihood for an eight you know i would say it's perfectly rational almost no matter what whether there's pertussis in the world or not it is very rational to say hey if you're sick with anything yeah not now, let's do this some other time. Or,
1: right? or oh, there's a known outbreak in the city where I live or the city where you live of something uh, that is infectious and uh, one of us isn't vaccinated in a way that feels protective, like no visits, not yeah. now, not while this is happening. Not
0: while this is happening. Yeah. Um, but in general, you know, let's not be naive about this. The fact is one of the many, many things that should have been obvious really should have been obvious. In fact, I believe I had a hypothesis on the table that said, is this known? Seems like it should be true. Is that vaccination can actually depress your immunity for, even a good vaccine can depress your immunity for a period of time, especially a booster, where what you're doing yeah. is you are delivering a dose of something that your immune system is already somewhat alert to, because yeah. what that does is it occupies those cells and those antibodies that are targeted at that thing. And so,
1: yeah, no, and especially like if, if, if we are to believe the reports that right now, you know, COVID is circulating even more and more really, and flu and is it RSV? Mm-hmm. Um, like we got, you know, there's, Apparently, and I have not vetted any of these reports, and of course now I take such reports with a skepticism that I don't want to have to have, but if that is all true, this is not the moment to be depressing your immune system by adding a level of security against something that is not known to be experiencing an upsurge.
0: Right, and in the case of pertussis, you know has somebody given you good advice about for what period of time you're more susceptible to pertussis because your pertussis immunity is depressed mm. and at what point that flips and it, it, you go into a more immune phase yeah. so the answer is look you who are making this policy because you feel it's right for your child actually don't know enough to make the policy for your own house so that it is a positive one you may in fact be increasing the chances pertussis will walk through your door because you don't know what that period of time over which pertussis immunity is depressed by the vaccine is going to be and it's bound to be something yeah so the answer is look i'm not coming to your house if i'm sick with anything i don't think it's a good idea and i don't want to 100%. treat it casually mm-hmm. you know just because it's just a cold or that's what i think right. it is and
1: we can even call it you know some number of days afterwards is right like there can totally they can bracket this thing totally yeah. yeah
0: so i think i think what i would say to this person is look I'm not insensitive to your concern about your kid, I I share it, but I don't think that what you're deploying is actually a policy that protects your kid. I think it protects you socially from the horrifying case that somebody delivers this very rare disease to your house, and let's do something else so that we avoid that. Let's agree that if I'd been sick in the two weeks prior to our scheduled visit, I ain't coming. And mm-hmm. if I wake up the morning of our visit and I feel something weird in my throat, even if it's the kind of thing that usually turns out to be nothing, I'm not coming. But if I mm-hmm. haven't had any symptoms in that period of time, let's yep. take normal precautions. But the harm to your child of not being exposed to their family members because of a hypervigilance that doesn't make sense relative to a disease, uh, that's not good for them either.
1: Yeah. Good. When did we start, Zach? Uh you can go on for
0: thirty minutes. Okay. I was gonna say three and a half billion years ago.
1: Nice. <laughs> Generalists seem more needed than ever, but are they wanted? Studying data science, I'm drawn to epidemiology, ecology, etc., But assume I'll be turned away in an era of expert fetishism and closet conformists. Yeah, you're right. You you're absolutely right. Uh But they are, I mean, uh, on all parts of it, like they're just absolutely more needed than ever. And.
0: Well, uh, this is a, this is the result of this stupid funding mechanism for universities that prioritizes grant overhead. And the fact is generalists, you know, are not in need of some hyper specialized apparatus that costs a half a million bucks that will make the university smile when you get a grant for it. Mm I will I do find the fact that DeSantis or his team decided to to call me for this thing positive because, as I said at the thing, I don't have the specialties that people typically associate with this, but evolutionary biology is the framework that allows you to see how all of those specialties fit together because they're That's all right. evolutionary, and so anyway maybe maybe we're about to recognize. The toolkit you and I have been deploying, evolutionary biology, is in fact excellent, not only because it's a cool place to stand, but because it is inherently generalist.
1: It is. And it seems most of the people who wield the toolkit, even with some facility, uh mostly are still speaking from a specialist platform. And so, you know, they will do what I was kind of goofing on my own Interests and tendency in the in the main episode, starting by talking about squamates and character evolution and and such. Um, you know, I I can geek out all day on that stuff, and I'm really interested to do so. But uh, but it's really important that anyone that can do that, who actually wants to live an informed life, be able to apply the tools that they have um, from from whatever it is that they've done scientifically to as many things as they can, and. You know how the the concern that this person will be turned away in an expert of fetishism and closet conformists. I guess it depends on what what exactly the context there is. Will there be the job description for you if you can do a bunch of different things? Maybe not. Uh, I I think you know the question just assumes that institutions are functional at all, and they're not. But I was sitting on committees, sitting on and chairing, hiring committees um, for a couple decades actually, um, both as a graduate student and um, and as a professor, and I watched these job descriptions evolve. And it was sort of during the era in which the the term interdisciplinarity became popular and suddenly you were, well, it felt sudden, but maybe that was just because it was punctuated because like now I'm on a job committee, I'm in a hiring committee again, it's been two years, and now I'm seeing a lot of like, oh, we'd love someone who can do, you know, this or this or this or this. And uh, someone close to the field might say, whoa, wait a minute, those are wildly different things but actually what the department was saying was actually, we know that we have an interest in all of these things and we don't actually care what your specialty is as long as you come in the door being able to sort of think broadly. And so I was seeing that in job descriptions and I feel like I began began to see that contract again as sort of what, what had been an honest and honorable interest in actual interdisciplinarity became revealed as a fetish for a term. And in imagining that to do interdisciplinary work, what you have to do is put one specialist next to another specialist and see if chemistry happens. And like it doesn't because if you have two real hardcore specialists, they don't know how to talk across those boundaries. So everyone has to have the interdisciplinarity in themselves in order to actually reach across other boundaries that they haven't yet themselves experienced. And so you should be. Generalists should be exactly what everyone is hiring for no matter what. You know, someone with some depth in one or more places as well, some specialty on which they can, you know, wax eloquent for some amount of time or think carefully or design experiments or, you know, generate hypotheses. Um, But being able to connect the various dots is utterly important or else you're going to do either fine, but not that very, not that interesting brick in the wall science. Or you're going to be a weasley little conformist who believes Fauci whenever he stands up and talks.
0: All right. A couple things. Um, you need a certain quantity of generalism in order for what you're doing to work at the university level is in some sense what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You can get that generalism either by hiring generalists or you can hire specialists who also speak generalist. Yep. You probably should never hire almost anybody who can't do that. right? Mm-hmm. And, and I used to say that one of the ways to fix peer review is to have papers reviewed not within the discipline but an adjacent mm-hmm. discipline. If you can't explain it to somebody in an adjacent discipline, it probably isn't worthwhile or meaningful or true, Yeah. right? Um, so generalism is an important ingredient and you need an awful lot of it to make the soup function. Mm-hmm. Not that soup functions, that's a terrible metaphor. But um, to make a highly functional soup, let's just say that and- uh, Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? No, not no. at all, really. <laughs> it's not making can't me hungry. It. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love your formulation that the desire for specialists is often a fetish for a particular term that is so dead-on accurate, right? Some term is hot and suddenly everybody's advertising themselves as interested in it and really it just means they're sort of narrow, they're weather
1: veining, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and,
0: and it's, it's really, it's it's bad, bad yeah. stuff.
1: Fashion should have no place in science, but in fact it's become the, the, Rain of the day. It's
0: the way people get hired because some term is hot when you're looking for a job and if you're you know if you're the kind of person who says that's not my thing but let me show you what's important that's it that's worth listening to but oh yeah I'm on that new thing great well what's going to happen two years from now when nobody gives a damn about that thing.
1: Yeah um yeah I remember one of my I'm not going to name him by name here but one of my favorite people faculty members at Evergreen talking about um years ago being interested in the ways that um DNA got folded in and on itself in chromosomes and being told what the hell? Like not not cool, not interesting, nothing to see there. Like there is yeah. nothing there. And then long after he got his degree, it like it, it exploded it's like, Oh, there's a ton hiding here huge... and this has to be the thing that you do and it was like, I oh, never mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, the the, the special that's 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 another excellent point is the specialization will shield you from the truly next big thing that's down the road just far enough that nobody it's not it's not a fad yet right. and yeah being interested in uh, histone wrapping and 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 chromosomes was going to be the key or one of the few keys that mm-hmm. unlocked the epigenetic revolution so yeah imagine them you know shutting down uh, your friend and my friend over his um Interest in that topic which wasn't hot yet like boy what a a missed opportunity, right? And you can you know at some level uh, It's just lucky here that it was what you were talking about in the main podcast But you can see the danger of specialization From your squamate example because if you specialize too much within squamates it leaves you without a leg to slither on
1: (laughs) Although a lot of the squamates have legs
0: and some don't, and that's why if you see the whole group, then you got legs. If and you... yet,
1: they're all tetrapods. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But not quadrupeds. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Yep.
1: Yeah. we just lost three more audience members. Yes, we so, did lose,
0: and I almost <laughs> heard their eyes rolling to the point that they may have <laughs> sprained them.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, next question. This past week, in one of the Twitter file drops, a new phrase caught my attention, L3 entities. These were mentioned three separate times, yet I saw nearly no one talking about them. What do you think these are? I didn't see any of this, so I don't know. Do you know? You probably boy. Oh, doing, I, now that doing I, other now things. now that I know
0: the term, I, uh, I would like to go back and find it. An L3 entity? Yeah, I just I don't know. Um, I don't even off? know whether that's the good people or the bad people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, um, it
0: does, it does the L3 entity give information on who to, uh, to punish, or is the L3 entity one of the punished? I have no idea, um, yeah. but I will look into it.
1: Um, Brett, please explain why you thought Chappelle's joke was funny but wrong. Does funny but wrong even exist? It sounds quite woke to me as a concept. Um, I don't remember. I don't remember what this is referring to.
0: So Chappelle's joke was that there were two words you must never put together, the Jews. And the reason that I thought it was funny is because I think the sensitivity is quite right, that that sensitivity does exist. And any of us, Jewish or not, have to be very careful about discussions in this area, right? That's real, Mm -hmm. and I don't like it one bit. In fact, what I understand, I have not been to Israel, sadly. I would love to go. haven't been yet. But what I understand from people who live there is that your ability to have such conversations is greater there than it is in the U.S., which is telling, right? Mm -hmm. To the extent that there is a more vibrant conversation generally about Judaism, what it is, what role it plays in the world, um, you know, that's healthy. And that part of the problem is that by shutting down that discussion, we don't get to the truth, which is, you know, frankly, it's a tough truth, right? You know, are there Jewish criminal conspiracies? No doubt. Mm-hmm. Are the Jews involved in such conspiracies highly competent? Probably. Jews excel at a lot of stuff. I bet they excel at conspiracy, right? Is the Jews. But are there, are
1: there also failed Jewish consp- criminal well, no, conspirators? Yes. N-
0: no doubt. No Let's doubt. And what's more, even to the extent that you will find that there are Jewish conspiracies, as there are you know, Italian conspiracies, as you will find mafias of many kinds, you will find a Jewish mafia, mm-hmm. right? You will also find uh, conspiracies inside the corporate world, and some of them will have a Jewish character to them because... I don't know, it's a diaspora. Um, But the problem is that when a guy like Chappelle points to this, the implication about that this is somehow directly connected to what the Jews are can't help but be derived from it. And I guess what I would love to talk to Chappelle about is the reality of what he's seeing and what's not real that you might infer from it, right? Mm -hmm. And anyway, so I guess, look, to the, to the questioner's point, is there such a thing as funny but not true? Yeah, there is. The degree to which a a modicum of truth is necessary in order for something to be truly funny, I won't say at a hundred percent there's stuff, you know, there's absurdist humor that's not funny that's because of anything true in it, really, just it's so over the top, mm-hmm. you know. But um the Fact that truth and humor bear a close relationship, but it is, not, it is not that they are synonymous with each other, is key. And so in, in some sense, I think the point is, look, very few people could say what Chappelle said and live to tell the tale, mm-hmm. right? Chappelle can do it. I think that's awesome. And I love that he can do it. And I also think that the point is, okay, you've raised a topic that's almost impossible to raise. Now that it's raised, can we talk about it? That's the point. That yeah. joke, the fact that that joke is funny means, okay, we all get that there's something over there. Now can we talk about what it is? And that's the extent of it. I think it's, it's a contribution to the conversation um, because we do need to get to the point where we can say what it is and what it isn't.
1: Good. Not an answer to the question, but um, you talking about various mafias It struck me that one of the reasons that I, uh, I, you know, that all of us, I don't know that it's a reason that all of us, but one of the shows that we have loved, uh, and I think is certainly in the top five TV shows for me and maybe the top one, is Peaky Blinders. And one of the things that it does that's so marvelous is in part because the lead figures are um, gypsies. Who um, like the Jews uh, have, you know have been roaming people, yep. um, unlike the Jews have never you know been granted a homeland. Uh, they and and there is it's basically a criminal family. It's a criminal outfit. Uh, with you know very rich characters of both sexes and you know they do that brilliantly. Um, but maybe because they're Romani, they're they're gypsies, um, they end up having to interface with members of the other mafias. Mm-hmm. And so they end up, yes, interacting with the Italian mafia, but also they got Alfie, the Alfie, the, Jewish the Jewish guy. Mobster, yep. Yeah, and I mean I feel like there's more and I can't I can't think all of, you know, and one of their employees is, and I don't know if employee is the right word, but is a is a black guy who I think often appears to be busking on the street, right? Like, I don't even... Or like, I don't remember
0: the busking, yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe
1: not. Um,
0: but they also interact with the North American Italian mob. Yeah,
1: those, are. I, oh, I guess those are two different mobs. They're two different, yeah, you know, Italian-American and Italian mobs. Um, but the, the sort of the... The pretense of well, we we would need, and it's it's based loosely on a real a real family from between World War One and World War Two in um, Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have needed to make connections with all of the other mafia because on their own they would not have uh, enough connections. Um, makes for a much richer story, and that is going to be true of all humanity, right? Like you know, take the criminal component out of it, and once forced to escape from your own tribe in order to accomplish what it is that you want to do you end up being more interesting being more productive being likely to be you know better able to do good for yourself and for for others um because because you're outside of your own tribal boundaries
0: love this point here's where i think it goes we've described that there are basically two uh roots for human cooperation the most fundamental route is genetic lineage right that because you have because you share genes it can make a lot of sense to co- collaborate with others because your genes can be spread by helping them and by them helping you right it's a natural
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, the better reason to collaborate is because it is productive for both of you it's profitable
1: yeah
0: so you've got genetic relatedness and you've got uh, reciprocity. The West is based on the idea that reciprocity is the thing to follow, right? And the idea is not to pretend that some of us aren't more closely related to each other than we are to others, but the idea is we profit best when we put things like race aside and we collaborate because it's a good thing to do, right? We end up being more decent. We Mm -hmm. end up uh, accomplishing things that we couldn't otherwise accomplish. When you look at, the fraction of the great inventions of the last couple hundred years and you find out what fraction of them emerged from America, this experiment in reciprocity, right? The idea that we are a melting pot, that's fundamentally what we are and we're going to collaborate, right? That is a demonstration of how powerful this is compared to the other thing, compared to defaulting to lineage. Mm -hmm. However, when Your racism bubbles up, and it makes it difficult for certain people to collaborate because they are shunned because of the color of their skin, because of the shape of their noses or lips or whatever. You create this um, bias in the direction of lineage-based competition Mm. and against reciprocity. And so the reason I connect this to what you're saying is that you've got all of these different mafias, and they in effect, are groups of people who typically have defaulted into this lineage mode of collaboration, presumably because the opportunities that were available if they played the game with wherever they landed, right? As immigrants, does it make sense, right, to play the game collaboratively with everybody, you know, irrespective of their skin color? Or does it make more sense? Is it more profitable to, you know, blood is thicker than water? To do that thing. Mm -hmm. And so in in, in some sense, look, we all get that the Mafias are fascinating because they do something that we normally can't do and don't do. Um, They're frightening because they treat other people as non-entities, and that's part of their superpower. And the point is actually, one of these things makes better television, right? The Mafia thing makes really good television and movies. But better society is made by egalitarianism and meritocracy, where the question Mm -hmm. is, well, how am I going to get ahead? Well, maybe I should team up with capable people and I should ignore whether they're men or women or black or Asian or whatever. I should ignore those things and I should team up with people because together what we've got is greater than the sum of all of the parts that we individually bring to the table. And so I guess... I'm, I'm putting I mean, it's it together a, it's
1: an argument, it's, it's it's the correct argument for diversity.
0: It is the correct argument for diversity, and, you know, this is this message I, I can't manage to get people to understand, which is, look, if you break that thing, if you break the, uh, the cosmopolitan sense that we should put race aside, do you know what you're going to get? You're going to get a war of all against all, lineage by lineage. Mm-hmm. You don't want that we've nope. seen that world that's almost all of human history that's right. right you want the thing that we recently invented that right. is an alternative yep. to it that works way yep. better we
1: come directly from that and it'll be a quick descent back into it and it will be very hard to recover uh the the wisdom of the west
0: yep and we are we are living that descent mm-hmm. it is it is we are we are playing with fire restoring the lineage against lineage world and none of us should want it
1: yeah all right Here's a recommendation. Greetings, I'm a big fan of Dr. Ken Berry, who is apparently a big fan of yours. He just did a great interview with Dr. Asim Malhotra, and really would like to interview you as well. Would love to have you reach out to him, thanks. I don't recognize the name.
0: I don't recognize the name. It's possible if I saw his face, I would, but, um, but anyway, yeah, interesting.
1: Right. Um, have you seen the new study on myocarditis and Moderna? Very small sample size, but interesting. There's a link here which is a little hard to grab in this uh, format that we've got. I have not seen it. Have you? Do you know anything about it, Brett?
0: Nope. All I know, I know nothing about any new study. I know that uh, there was quite a bit of myocarditis. The argument was more from from Moderna than from the Pfizer shot. The argument was that it had to do with the Moderna shot being hotter in terms of the quantity.
1: The dosage, yeah. Um,
0: I believe there is something out. There's been this has been bubbling up for a while, but I believe there's something out that at least has uh, has Ryan Cole mentioning it in the last week. I don't think he's connected to it directly, but about the question of how homogeneous were the different lots, Mm
1: -hmm. and that
0: part of the issue. Oh, is that that's
1: that's come back up as a yeah? And I I
0: think the argument that is being advanced is that basically a lot of people got blanks, which weren't effective, but were a lot less dangerous too, because they just didn't have the stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I don't know how true that is, but that sounds awfully plausible.
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm um, looking at the study. I've, it's the first time I've seen it. Autopsy-based histopathological characterization of myocarditis after anti-SARS-CoV-2 vaccination. Um.
0: Yeah, well, at least, at you know, it. autopsy yeah. studies are something that we have not gotten enough of. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is presumably unambiguous on autopsy, and the fact that autopsies are not being regularly done uh, is uh, an absurdity, and, a, and a, it's, a, it's, it's a crime, because yeah. we need to know what the effect was, and having uh, doctors survey these tissues and figure out what went wrong with them is a quick way there. The exactly. only reason you wouldn't do it is if you didn't want the information.
1: Yes. And it's published in a journal called uh, Clinical Research in Cardiology. So um, that also suggests uh, a focus on things that have actually happened.
0: Mm. Gets <laughs> to the heart of the matter.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Um, great to see your furry friends participating with you. you know, one of them's rolling just out of reach. Um, Great to see your furry friends participating with you. Please set me straight on my biological terms. Are human relationships with pets symbiosis? Mutualism seems too strong a word, but commensalism seems too weak
0: I would argue you that know, commens-
1: domestication is a is a process that isn't assumed in those broader uh, biological terms frankly there's an additional process
0: yeah I, I would I would say that like many things the missing concept is lineage. Once you realize that lineage is just as valid an evolutionary level as individual, then the idea of a mutualism, and I don't distinguish here between mutualism and symbiosis, um, but the idea that we have a mutualistic relationship with our pets is not the least bit far-fetched. Now the problem with cats, in particular. So remember the key thing to remember with you know the, they're armed, right? The cats.
1: The problem with cats, he begins as if he's safe in oh, his home huh? well, living with they cats. They are
0: armed. They are minimally armed, which <laughs> I appreciate. The so the key thing to remember with our two most common uh, pet species is that dogs have an absolutely anomalously long relationship with human beings—thirty thousand years.
1: Far longer than anything else, as far as we know, we've been domesticating, plants included.
0: By a factor of three, because the everything else Two is domesticated half, in conjunction with farming. Yeah. And dogs were domesticated as a partner in hunting. And so that relationship is way, way, way deeper, right? It, and it has modified dogs, even the eyebrow raising weird mm-hmm. stuff that looks like they're signaling you is a modification of of an animal by this force. Cats are almost the other end of the spectrum. They were recently, comparatively recently domesticated, and they were domesticated not fully because their job didn't involve hanging out with you immediately and communicating with you directly. It involved watching the grain and killing the stuff that eats it. Um, So anyway, they're opposite ends of that spectrum, which is interesting. Hello, friend. (laughs) But what is true for all of the major domesticates is that they yams? Yes. Okay. Is that all of them occupy a much larger space on the earth than they would absent domestication. Even, you know, as you point out, yams is funny because it's a plant, but, um, but even things that sure. we eat are experiencing a mutualism because if you think about the number of goats that would be on the earth or the number of chickens or
1: certainly the amount of rice right
0: if you think about any of these things they have gotten this deal where they you know the cats exist in your average neighborhood at a density that no predator could possibly exist so the point is the very existence of the creature is part Mm -hmm. of its relationship with people now when you get to whether or not our relationship with cats is properly understood as a mutualism could be understood as a parasitism in modern, we don't have any grain. Remember growing any grain? No. Yeah, so if we don't grow any grain. So we're parasitizing them? No, no. <laughs> well, I think somebody, if you just do an individual level argument, you could say, oh, well, they're parasitizing your well-being. You put a certain amount of your wealth and your your affection into, into that was. That was rude. That was rude. Um, you put some of what you've got to spend into your animals. That's them taking advantage of you. That's them making, I don't know, baby-like noises and triggering your maternal and paternal instincts. I don't think so. I think that this actually is, I mean, the fact that we find that people who have such relationships um, get health benefits from them Mm -hmm. means that this has become something deeper, that the grain protection relationship isn't the sum total of it. And it's now become kind of an emotional interdependence. Mm-hmm. I know I certainly feel personally happier and more rewarded if I come into a house and if there's nobody home, there's a pet and I can find mm-hmm. out what they're up to and they're mm-hmm. glad to see me and I'm glad to see them. Yep. So anyway, I would say don't be so afraid of, uh, what. which term was it that you didn't want to use? Mutualism?
1: Mutualism seems too strong a word, he says. He, yeah. she.
0: I don't yeah. think so. I don't think it's too strong a word.
1: No, I don't. I don't either.
0: Um, and I would just argue that commensalism probably doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, yeah true. And also, I guess, um, maybe the thing that I was getting at with domestication is a process that usually isn't included in, in other species relationships that are understood to be mutualisms, which is to say that we're also co-evolving with, certainly with dogs. Human and do- humans and dogs are co- wow. <laughs> That was extraordinary. I don't know if they heard that. <laughs> um, um, but uh, humans and he cats, to some degree, are as well. Okay, the cat is yelling for crackers. It may be The, the cat that. is
0: crackers. Yeah. It is what he eats. We are,
1: we are getting to the end here. We are, we are driving them so over. So I just want to make
0: this one sentence point commensalism probably doesn't exist because it's very hard to be exactly neutral in your effect. You could be slightly positive or slightly negative. Being exactly neutral, the chances are vanishingly small. And let me give the example. A classic commensalism that would be in your textbook would be like a bird that builds a nest in a tree, right? And the answer is it's not sucking resources from the tree, but it is probably dropping a little guano on the tree that could be positive. It is shading out the leaves that fall below the nest, even if it builds it,
1: you know, it's putting a little bit of extra weight on the branch. Right. right.
0: So the point is, what are the chances that, averaged over all of the trees that get one of these nests, that it's actually exactly zero? The chances are exactly zero.
1: Yeah. Right? Well, and even even if one individual nest actually does average to zero, the idea that the in general, that species has an exactly zero effect on that on that tree, like that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I would say as a theorist, we can even do away with the possibility that any nest has ever been exactly zero by saying, well, then measure finer, <laughs> right? If one photon was blocked somewhere along the line. Yeah. You know. Uh,
1: Elon is sitting with Lex Friedman next week. Can you come up with one or two of the most worthwhile questions you'd like Elon to look into?
0: Um, yeah, I would say... The, well, I, it depends a little bit what the question about, anybody uh, hey buddy, um, about whether or not this is about general stuff or stuff that Elon is already up to. But on the topics that Elon is already working on, I think he, I understand, I think, what he's doing with respect to moderation of um Twitter, but he needs to. Um, he needs a red team, and he needs uh, he needs a group to, in conversation with each other, generate a.
1: Hey, Zach! Zach Fairfax is right there. Fairfax is right there. Sorry, guys.
0: Um, <laughs> hey. Oh, yep. where are you going?
1: <laughs> yep, right. Total chaos here.
0: Okay. So if I can rephrase what I was trying to say. In Sorry. The we were both
1: a little worried about. Not uh, losing k- the cat. Yeah. Um, yep. okay.
0: Elon needs a red team. He also needs a group of people, which might be the red team, team or it might be a different team, to discuss possible mechanisms for moderating Twitter. And I think he needs to free himself from the idea that he is going to post a perfect set of rules. I, I am fairly convinced by lots and lots of years about thinking about these sorts of things that what he needs to do is specify the values that the rules are supposed to accomplish and the needs to impanel people to utilize discretion with the understanding that it will not be perfect. It has to be non-biased, but it, do, it will not be perfect.
1: So um, neither of those is questions. Those are things that you think you should do. I haven't, I don't, you and I were talking about this this morning, I I don't.
0: The question is, how do you moderate Twitter? But the answer is he's going to moderate Twitter personally and then he's gonna make mistake after mistake and he will learn, but he will pay a huge price for each of those errors. And the way to do it properly is to say, let's let's speed up the process of evolution. Let's impanel some people to figure out what mechanisms might be deployed. And -hmm. then you have a red team that looks at those mechanisms and says, okay, I'm going to throw challenges at you. If you write this rule, here's the thing you can't moderate correctly, right? And if you put those two things in concert with each other, you will discover what you might do. But I think the punchline of the story will be, you need a body that can exert discretion over a set of values that are agreed upon, that everybody who signs up agrees to, and I will also say that I have had several discussions about how you might make that scale, right? Because the problem is if you decide that discretion is the root of good moderation, then how do you, you going to moderate every tweet? How do you how do you moderate every tweet that is flagged?
1: So someone else asks maybe in response to this question, can we all float one simple question to Elon? Is Twitter a carrier or a publisher?
0: Um I don't, th- unfortunately, that question is not Elon's to answer. That's a Section 230 question, and so the federal government has given us a well, has delivered us a mess.
1: Yeah, but he could apply consistency. He could what? He, he could apply consistency, couldn't he? He could, he could say, you know what, I view it as A or B, and therefore the decisions that we make are based on that.
0: Well, I don't think we understand his predicament well enough the problem is that this is a uh, a legal distinction and so what he does has implications that i i don't i don't know what they are if he behaves one way or the other mm-hmm. so anyway i i can't answer that
1: okay.
0: that that is a that is a problem inscribed into the law based on section 230 and somebody is going to need to deal with section 230 in order that we're not constantly on the losing end of both definitions.
1: Okay, Um, There are several more questions here. Most of them are about things that I actually just haven't seen. So let me quickly get through a couple of them. And if you have something quick to say, say it. But I think mostly we just. Any comment on the study which warns that subvariants BQ and XBB have alarming ability to evade both immunity and medical treatments and boosters? I don't know this study. Can't speak to it. Yeah. Uh, can you offer any advice on the newer Novavax COVID vaccine? I cannot find much info on its safety or effectiveness as an alternative to Is I can't tell from the question if they say newer, meaning it came out after the mRNA vaccines, or if there's a newer, there's a I new think,
0: Novavax. I think it is the former. Um, and I will say I haven't looked very deeply. I yeah. do believe it's spike based, which means the degree to which it can be safe is limited. Yeah, May well be better. Certainly the lipid nanoparticles carry their own hazards, the mRNA mechanism carries its own hazard, Uh, so it could well be better. But my question is, how long are we going to keep playing this spike game before we realize that that choice was an error to begin with?
1: Yeah. On Eric's tweets with regard to 1A principles being dependent on social mores, do you agree? Can such mores be evolutionarily stable, and if so, what traits or conditions? I don't know the tweets, so I can't respond. I don't either. Um, Heather, could you tell about your lard at all beauty tips, please. <laughs> um, lots of love to both of you. I, maybe another time, maybe when it's not so late and the cat isn't yelling. Um, but yeah, I do like I do like the lard-based pharaoh. Uh, pharaoh Pharaoh life. yeah. Um, it's, it's quite good. Um, yeah, another another time. Uh, let's do one more. Many socio-political and cultural problems are downstream of cowardice. Some cowardice might even be hardwired, e.g., neuroticism. How do we teach courage to those who don't have it?
0: Uh, well, teach is a tough one. Yeah. Right? If you have generations, you can teach. You can put people in circumstances that push them just slightly beyond a limit where they can get the sense that things don't immediately go haywire. They can develop the skills that allow them to manage that. They can feel yep. positive about uh, not feeling cowardice and facing things courageously.
1: And that's, let me, I know you're going somewhere, but, like, that's what thats what could happen with a full-time educational environment like at Evergreen and, like, nowhere else, right? That if you have even just a full quarter, but especially a full year with people wherein... Um, it becomes clear that um, no one is there to win points, um, but actually to discover truth. You can actually teach the value of being courageous—at yep. least mentally courageous—and depending on you know the program, physically courageous, psychologically yep. courageous as well. And um, that really is one of the biggest things that you simply—it's maybe impossible, but certainly very much harder to do if you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about teaching in a traditional way, like, okay, we've got like a teacher-student relationship. If you're meeting three times a week for 50 minutes, there's not going to be a lot of trust that can be established. And there's just not going to be the time to push, you know, to, to push each other around and to have it be revealed that like, oh yeah, I pushed you around and I come back and I still respect you. And like, you can't, like, we're, My disagreeing with you does not indicate that I think you're a bad person. Um, So teach teach is tough.
0: Well, teach isn't tough if you have the structure to do it. In the standard environment, it's tough. But how are you going to teach a population to be more courageous? You can't. You need need a structure that allows it. But what you can do is recognize that courage surely exists in something like a normal distribution or a power law distribution and that that means that what you have is a full spectrum of different levels of courage that exists in people as you find them Mm -hmm. and the key thing to recognize is that those who have lots of courage can make things safer for those who have slightly less Mm -hmm. and so if the people who have lots of courage stand up then it creates cover for people who have slightly less to stand up, which creates cover for the next level. And so Mm -hmm. a kind of uh, contagious courage is a very real thing. And unfortunately, our antagonists have sort of spotted it. And so what they do is they make it so that you do not see the lesson in front of you. Mm. So that... um, you know, if if the idea is well, I don't. This person sounds good. I wonder who they are. And then you go look at their Wikipedia page, and you find vile slanders. Then yeah. maybe the point is, well, I don't know what that is, but I'm. Oh,
1: well, that person's a crazy anti-vaxxer. Yeah.
0: Oh, geez, that's that's disappointing. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> you're going to have to tune out the thing that doesn't want you to encounter the people who might know the thing that you would benefit from knowing.
1: Yep. That's right. Okay, well, this got a little chaotic at the end here, but yeah, uh, sure apologies did. for that. We had we've attempted cat escapes and various, various other situations. Um, we'll be back. We'll be back in six days. We'll come back to you on Friday, December 23rd, with live stream 154. Uh, I haven't yet decided if we're going to do a QA. We probably will. Um, yep. But, uh, but there it is. And then tomorrow, uh, join us at 11 a.m. Pacific for. Uh, private Q&A which is um, which feels a lot different from this it's 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 awesome too but in a different way
0: it is um, so you're we're not
1: even the same people we're not even the same people as that points out yeah
0: and we're monstrous I think okay. um, yeah. but before the next live stream we've got Hanukkah yes starting today tomorrow, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. alright uh, so happy Hanukkah mm-hmm. Merry Christmas no. uh, would be right before Christmas. Forget it. Um, if you want to be wished it's a Merry Christmas though. with the solstice, so happy solstice, um, we'll wish you a Merry Christmas the day before,
1: the
0: days before. Days before. Yeah. All right, you can tell I'm not good with calendars. But. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that's going to come out uh, between Christmas oh, I and years. <laughs> All right. Your Honor, we don't believe in calendar Street. Yes. Okay, that was my foot doggy. Um, boy, we are so out of here. <laughs> so out of here. Until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside.
0: Be well, everybody.